Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads. To save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy, and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22, or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie. Woodstock. It's a name that many people recognize, but that would be due to the wrong Woodstock. Woodstock is a small town in Ontario, Canada, 90 miles or 145 kilometers west of Toronto. Though never hosting a huge rock music festival, I know, it was actually in Bethel. This Woodstock does have a number of smaller festivals, including the Woodstock Fleece Festival, Cowapalooza, and the Ontario Woodworking Championships. Elizabeth Wetlofer suffered from a personality disorder that made her unable to control her anger. All of her anger needed to be taken out on someone, so she took it out on the very people she was supposed to be taking care of. This is Monsters. Elizabeth Parker, who goes by Beth, was born on June 10, 1967, in an area just outside of Woodstock, Ontario, Canada, called Zora Township. Her parents were Doug and Hazel Parker, and people say that they were very controlling. A neighbor said that they were fundamentalist Christians who expected Beth to obey, something she didn't always do. When she was in high school, she pulled a fire alarm and blamed it on a boy she didn't like. 
When she was 15 years old, she ran away from summer camp and wasn't located for a full day. After high school, Beth first began studying journalism in college, but she lost interest after a year. Then she enrolled in London Baptist Bible College in the nearby town of London. There, she earned a bachelor's degree in counseling. While there, her father also took classes as a means of keeping tabs on his daughter. She had struggled with her sexuality when she was younger and her parents were not happy about it. At some point while she was attending Bible college, she underwent conversion therapy. People that knew them said that her parents wanted to quote-unquote ungay their daughter, because that's how it works. Once Beth got her degree, she began questioning if it was the right career for her. Instead of finding a job as a counselor, she enrolled in the nursing program at Conestoga College in nearby Stratford. When she graduated from the nursing program, Beth had a few different jobs before taking a full-time job at a hospital in Geraldton. Geraldton is a small town way up north in Ontario, about a 14-hour drive from Woodstock. Beth quit soon after because she didn't like the isolated location. In 1995, Beth took lorazepam while at work and was later found dazed and disoriented in the hospital where she worked. She was hospitalized but recovered. She was fired from the hospital where she had been working, and the Ontario College of Nurses put Beth's nursing license under restrictions. She was still allowed to work, but she was required to be under the supervision of an addiction specialist, attend support meetings, take regular drug tests, and remain free of drugs and alcohol. The restrictions were removed the following year. Beth met a man named Donnie Wetlaufer at church, and the couple got married in 1997. They lived in a small house just off the main drag in Woodstock. She still struggled with her sexuality and began seeking treatment for mental health issues. Doctors diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder and she was prescribed medication. Beth eventually began fulfilling her desires to be in a same-sex relationship by meeting women online. Eventually, one of those relationships developed into something substantial and Donnie found out about it. In 2007, the couple divorced and Beth moved out of the house. She got an apartment with her new girlfriend and they soon became engaged, but eventually that relationship ended as well. Alone and struggling with her mental health, Beth started having intrusive thoughts. When Beth was evaluated after her arrest, doctors found she suffered from mood instability, impulsivity, fear of abandonment, unstable relationships, and anger. She began relying heavily on drugs to quell these feelings, but it seemed she was able to remain functional during most of her drug use. Interestingly enough, insulin was developed by Frederick Banting in Toronto, just a few hours east of Woodstock. He earned his medical degree in 1916, and after serving in the Canadian Army Medical Corps in World War I, he began studying diabetes. At the time, diabetes was a terminal disease, but Frederick believed that the pancreas formed a substance that could treat the disease. He was able to use a pancreas to render insulin, and in 1922, 14-year-old Leonard Thompson was the first human to receive insulin. Leonard was near death, but after receiving the insulin, he began to recover. Frederick won a Nobel Prize the following year and was knighted in 1934. His discovery would go on to save countless lives, but Beth would go on to use the insulin to do the exact opposite. After her divorce, Beth was hired onto a long-term care facility in Woodstock called Kerrison Care. When she started this job, she had over a decade of experience, a lot of it dealing with blood sugar problems and injecting insulin when necessary. 
Beth began to wonder about how much insulin she could give to a patient, especially one that wasn't diabetic, before they would die. It wasn't long before wondering about it turned into trying it. 87-year-old Clotilda Adriano was a patient at Kerasint who suffered from dementia. It was only a few days after Beth started working at the facility that she grabbed an insulin pen and set the dial to 20 to 30 units. She injected it into the woman and left the room, waiting to see if she would die. Insulin is a substance produced by the pancreas that helps the body's cells absorb sugar properly. When a diabetic has a spike in their blood sugar, the insulin they inject helps use that sugar as energy and their blood sugar levels come down. If a person isn't diabetic and doesn't have high blood sugar, then an injection of insulin can cause hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar levels. Severe hypoglycemia can lead to seizures, coma, and even death. Beth talked about this incident when she confessed to the police in 2016. So, was this your first attempt at, at overdosing these people on insulin? Yes, Clotilda was. And I didn't really want her to die. I just, I don't know, I was just angry and um, had this sense inside me that she might be a person that God wanted back with them. And is that that feeling you're referring to that you had in your stomach yeah. at times? Yeah. Okay. Beth claimed that she thought God might want Clotilda back and that he was using her. Fortunately, Clotilda didn't die from the insulin injection, and Beth would go on to inject her a few more times with varying doses of insulin. But when Clotilda died a year later, it didn't seem that the insulin overdose was the cause. Beth did the same thing to Clotilda's sister-in-law, Albina de Medeiros, but she didn't kill her either. Three months later, she showed up for a double shift and was met by an agitated 84-year-old James Silcox. James had enlisted in the Canadian Army Service in 1940 and served in World War II. He served in Italy, Belgium, France, and Sicily, but was especially proud of having served in Holland at the time of its liberation. After his discharge from the military, he worked at the Standard Tube Company until he retired. Eventually, James suffered a debilitating stroke that made him lose mobility. On August 11, 2007, James was a new resident at the facility and he was confused about where he was and kept calling for his wife, Agnes. Now, this would normally be understandable behavior by a resident of a long-term care facility, especially one that was new. On top of that, as a nurse working at that very facility, it shouldn't be something that would cause uncontrollable anger. Beth, on the other hand, developed a strong disliking of James very quickly. She told a detective during her confession that she would gradually feel what she referred to as a red surge boiling inside her. It would eventually cause her to take out her anger on her patients in a deadly way. James was not diabetic, but Beth took an insulin pen and, setting the dial to 50, a much higher dose than she had previously used, she injected it into the confused patient.
doctor came in and uh, said that his cause of death was from uh, an embolism due to his uh, post hip. He'd had a he'd had hip surgery. surgery. Doctor ruled that embolism due to post hip surgery. The following morning, James was pronounced dead. The war veteran had just had hip surgery, so the doctor noted that the likely cause of death was an embolism resulting from the surgery. In her confession, Beth described the forms that she had to fill out after a death at the facility, and in one spot was a box the staff was supposed to check if they believed the death was not due to natural causes. Of course, Beth did not check that box. She knew that James's death was due to her injecting him with an overdose of insulin, and she got away with it. She was intent on keeping it that way. Beth would take one more life in 2007, just three days before Christmas. Maurice Grenat, who went by Mo, was an 84-year-old cancer patient residing at the facility. He spent his life as an auto mechanic. He had unfortunately gotten on Beth's bad side, and by December 22nd, she was sure that it was his time to go. She went into Mo's room and told him that the doctor had ordered a vitamin shot, and he willingly accepted the injection. He died the following day while Beth wasn't at work. She described her thoughts after she would inject someone and then go home. What would play through your mind on, on your days where you inject? So, class, for instance, you inject her. You work nights, it says here, so yeah. 11 till 7. You did this at 5 o'clock. You go home and carry her on about, if you have one, two, three days off, whatever yeah. the case was. What was going through your mind on those I'm, days off? Were you thinking, when yeah. when class going to die? I would wonder if she had died. I would wonder... You know, if this would be the time I would get caught, you know, what was I going? Every time, every time I walked in after somebody passed away, I always wondered, is this day I'm going to get caught? When she would return to work after a patient died by her hands, she would wonder if it was the day she would get caught, but it never was. Nobody connected the deaths to deadly insulin injections. These people were already in failing health, already living out their final days so nobody suspected anything nefarious when they died. Beth had found the perfect place to find victims. At the beginning of 2008, Beth met a woman named Sheila Andrews on an online dating site. Sheila was a prison cafeteria worker who lived in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and the two women hit it off. In the summer of that year, Beth hopped on a flight west and visited Sheila for a week. Sheila said that Beth was immediately overwhelming. She talked about how she had told her co-workers that she was in love and how they were going to be together. Sheila wanted to slow down, but when Beth didn't get her way, especially when she didn't get affection, she would throw a tantrum. Sheila said that Beth didn't handle not getting her way very well, and she was very childish. Sheila also noted that Beth boasted about how much responsibility she had at work. She seemed to love the power she had as the charge nurse of the night shift. She clearly loved the power of calling all the shots, especially when it came to whether someone would live or die. When the trip was over, Sheila told Beth that she didn't think it was going to work out. Beth was once again alone and fighting the intrusive thoughts that would convince her to kill. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. 
However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. 63-year-old Michael Priddle had inherited Huntington's disease, and though his family took care of him as long as they could, he eventually wound up at Kerrison Care. When Beth returned from her trip, she made the decision that Michael wasn't comfortable living the way that he was, and she injected him with a large amount of insulin. When she returned to work the following day, Michael was still alive and he remained that way until the end of 2008, where it's believed that he died of natural causes. Around the same time, she also injected 57-year-old Wayne Hedges, but he also pulled through. Wayne had been a longtime resident of the facility. He had been there since 2000, and he was diabetic, which is possibly why the insulin didn't kill him. He died in January of 2009, also believed to be from natural causes. In 2009, a new nurse's aide began working at Kerrison Care, and Beth befriended the 18-year-old woman. They began spending time together outside of work, and one day, Beth let it slip that she had intentionally overdosed patients with insulin. The young aide expressed the desire to go to the police, but Beth told her that there was no proof, so nobody would believe her. Then she convinced the woman that she had stopped. She explained that she had found God and that God had forgiven her. This must have eased the woman's conscience, because she never did report what Beth had told her. The reality was that Beth believed it was God that was telling her that these people should die. She would talk about it in her confession years later. The point where you had these feelings in your stomach and all of that laughter after it happened? Yeah. Is that the part that you didn't tell Dr. Khan? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I just wanted to be clear on that. I told him about the laughter in my stomach, but not the feeling that this might be the person that God wants. Okay. Okay. Because I just found it so stupid. It's your feelings, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I honestly felt like God wanted to use me. And he kept, Dr. Khan kept asking me if you think God chose me for a special purpose. I kept saying no, because that did not sound like a special purpose. You know? Yeah. So, but yeah, I just had a sense after my marriage broke up that God was going to use me for something. And then after a while, I started to really wonder after some of the murders if it was God or if it was the devil fooling me. At this time, it's possible she was trying to stop. According to her own confession, she didn't inject any patients in 2009 and 2010. This would all change in 2011, though. She made it through part of 2011 without harming any patients. Maybe it's because she was in a relationship and her happiness kept the red surge at bay. In August of 2011, Beth and her girlfriend took a trip to Niagara Falls and had planned a future cruise, but the relationship ended before then. This may have been the catalyst for the next wave of attacks by Beth. 92-year-old Gladys Millard was a diabetic Alzheimer's patient whose staff admitted could be a handful. Hey, that's the nature of the work, though. 
On October 13, 2011, Beth again took it upon herself to decide that Gladys had had enough of life. Since Gladys was diabetic, Beth made sure to use a large dose of insulin and injected it into the elderly woman not long before the end of her shift. She left for home that night giggling to herself about what she had done. The nurses on the next shift found Gladys sweating and mumbling incoherently. They called the doctor, but there was nothing he could do. There was no way for him to know the true cause of the patient's ailment. Gladys died the following day. Helen Matheson was 95 years old when she became Beth's next victim. Helen was a widow who had also lost her son 10 years prior. Her two sisters had already passed, and Beth used this as a reason that Helen most likely desired to go be with her family. Helen was not diabetic, and she loved blueberry pie and ice cream. So on a break, Beth ran to the store and got some for her, pretty much choosing her last meal for her. Then she injected the woman with a large dose of insulin. Helen didn't question what the nurse was doing, because, well, she was the nurse. She was there to take care of her. It was October 25th when Beth injected her, and soon Helen's heart started to race. Then she began having seizures and fell into a coma. She died on October 27th. Just a week later, Beth's focus turned to 96-year-old Mary Zerowinski. There was no way that anyone could think that Mary was hoping to die. She was in good spirits, and people said she was looking forward to turning 100. Still, Beth believed that she was the next person on her list and injected her with insulin at the beginning of November. She also gave her a second drug that she said would increase the effectiveness of the insulin. Then, Beth left a note on Mary's chart that was for end-of-life care. The note read, Mary was sitting at dining room table at 1655 and was very pale. She started breathing in soft gasps, 30 per minute. She asked staff to put her to bed, quote, so I can die there, end quote. She was taken to the palliative room and put to bed. She then asked for someone to pray with her. PSWOR said Hail Mary with her and Mary visibly relaxed. Son was called. Mary died on November 7th. The very next day, Beth flew to Fort Lauderdale, Florida to depart on a cruise with her ex-girlfriend. They had already purchased tickets before they broke up, so they still agreed to go as friends. The 10-day cruise stopped in St. Thomas, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Aruba. People said that Beth was in a great mood on the trip, and when she returned, it seemed that she was able to go into another period, refraining from injecting patients in her care with insulin. She said in her confession that during this time, when the red surge started to bubble up, she would read her Bible. She explained that she told God that she didn't believe he wanted her to help the elderly die anymore. Either she was wrong, or, more likely, it was just her that wanted to kill old people, not God, because it wasn't long before Beth had picked up a needle and decided that another person was no longer fit to remain of this earth. It didn't help that Beth was struggling with drug addiction on top of her mental illness. She had been taking hydromorphone whenever she got the chance to steal some from work. The care facility kept stricter tabs on hydromorphone than it did insulin, but there were still ways to get it. The easiest was to take it from a resident. Many residents weren't of sound enough mind to know exactly which pills they should be taking. She also admitted to opening the capsules, dumping the contents into her mouth, and then giving the empty capsules to the patient. And of course, when a resident died, there would be leftover medication that would suddenly disappear. Though she claimed to have never been on drugs at work, one of her co-workers said she once found Beth passed out in the basement of the facility while she was supposed to be on her shift. Oh, the addiction lasted from 
Things started in 2008. So to 2014, at which time I went away and got treatment at a treatment center. Okay. But then uh, I started using again probably from January 2015. I started using again. And are you still using when you get your hand on them? Or? No, oh. no. I'm, uh, I'm going to stop using alcohol as well. I have friends in AA and I, I've got a very clear plan. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm able to be out and about, right. I have a very clear plan. And I also know if I'm not able to be out and about, that AA and their products and others do have some programs where they come into prison. Absolutely. So, yeah. that's my plan. You confess to eight murders. You surely aren't going to AA on the outside. Helen Young was born in Scotland and served in the Royal Air Force during World War II. That's where she met Canadian Peter Young and the two got married. A year later, Helen moved to Canada to spend her life with her husband. They had lived in Woodstock since 1971 and Peter passed away in 1988. After many years of remaining active and adventurous, at 90, Helen's health finally began to worsen and she ended up at the Kerrison Care facility. There, Beth felt that she was beginning to become difficult and decided that she couldn't possibly be happy with her life. Helen was diabetic, so when Beth gave her a large dose of insulin, the patient showed no adverse effects. Beth came in and gave her another large dose, which made the veteran begin having a seizure. Beth recorded her vital signs and marked her blood sugar levels as normal. Helen died on July 14, 2013. Beth began drinking on top of her drug use. She was drinking triple shots of rye daily as well as Bailey's. She was likely needing more and more substance to suppress her mounting guilt. On October 13, 2013, Beth met with her pastor and his wife where she admitted to what she had been doing. They prayed with her, but never reported her confession. They would later say that they didn't believe her. If they had reported her to authorities, they may have saved two more lives. 79-year-old Maureen Pickering had been widowed since 2008 and had no children, but when she began struggling with Alzheimer's, friends admitted her to the Kerrison Care facility. Like most people suffering from Alzheimer's, Maureen could be a bit of a handful. Of course, Beth didn't like that, so near the end of March 2014, she gave the woman two large injections of insulin, telling her that they were vitamin shots. Beth confessed that she was laughing while administering the shots. The sense of power created such a euphoria that she couldn't help it. Maureen had a stroke and was sent to the hospital, where she died a few days later on March 28th. Though Kerrison Care didn't suspect Beth of intentionally overdosing patients, they did know that she was making mistakes with the patient's medications. She had been written up multiple times for what the facility described a pattern of behaviors that were placing residents at risk. She had been given a one-day, a three-day, and two five-day suspensions while she worked there. The facility had reported these issues to Ontario's College of Nurses, but there's no record of the college taking any action regarding Beth's performance. On March 31st, Beth was fired from Kerrison Care after it was revealed that another patient had received the wrong medication near the end of March. That, along with her lengthy disciplinary record, made the facility decide that termination was the best option. It only took a few weeks before Beth had an interview at Meadow Park Nursing Home in London. 
They knew that she had been terminated by her previous employer for medication errors, but they believed in second chances. Beth's nursing license was in good standing with Ontario's College of Nurses, so she was hired. There, 75-year-old Arpad Horvath, who went by Art, was one of the residents. He was a Hungarian immigrant who spent his life as an engineer for a tool and die maker in London. Beth thought that Art was mean and felt like he was better off dead. So at the end of August, she stole some insulin from the medication refrigerator and prepared a shot for him. He struggled as she gave him the first shot, but she succeeded. Then she managed to get a second, larger dose into his arm. He became unresponsive and died in the hospital on August 31, 2014. Soon after, Beth quit her job at Meadow Park and sought treatment for opioid addiction at a rehab center in Port Colborne, just south of Niagara Falls. She was there for about a month before she began attending Narcotics Anonymous meetings. She hinted to her sponsor that she had committed some murders, but the sponsor would later say that she thought Beth was a pathological liar, so she didn't go to the police. Also in 2014, Beth consulted a lawyer where she again confessed to what she had done. The lawyer advised her to stay quiet and seek professional help for her mental health. He also didn't go to the police. Once back from rehab, Beth began working part-time for an agency that placed her in a number of different care homes in the area. One of those was a retirement home in Paris, which, like London, is not in Europe, but not far from Woodstock in Ontario. While there, she attempted to kill 77-year-old Sandra Towler, but was unsuccessful. Another nurse noticed that Sandra didn't look well, so she recorded her blood sugar. When she saw it was low, she gave her something which saved her life. In August of 2016, Beth was at a different nursing home in Ingersoll when she injected a large amount of insulin into the IV line of 68-year-old Beverly Betram. The patient lost consciousness but eventually awoke and managed to survive the encounter. Soon, the company that Beth worked for wanted her to start working at a children's hospital, but she said she was too afraid to work around kids, so she quit. She lied to her parents about her job status for a while as she contemplated her next move. On September 16, 2016, Beth checked herself into the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. While there, she told the psychiatrist that she had overdosed multiple people, killing eight and harming a number of others. This time, instead of brushing off the claims as lies, the doctor suggested that Beth write everything down. He even told her that anything she wrote down would be handed over to the police. Beth took his suggestion, wrote out her confession, and the doctor upheld his promise and delivered it to the police. They now had a four-page, handwritten confession of every person Beth had killed or harmed. I've, I've watched your statement that you provided to Trom. Okay. Okay. And we've been provided... Uh, this document here, does that look familiar to yeah. you? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. And from what I can see here, there's four pages of a uh, handwritten document. Is that your handwriting? Yes, it is. Okay. And it just kind of goes through um, some people that you've encountered in, in your career uh, from 2007 through to 2016 of August. Yeah. Uh, August of 2016. Okay. Police eventually picked Beth up from the CAMH and brought her in for a recorded statement. Clips from that statement have been used in this episode. She matter-of-factly told the investigator about every patient she had overdosed as well as other details about her life. Based on her confession alone, they didn't place Beth under arrest because, well, people confess to crimes they didn't commit all the time. 
Police in Woodstock, London, and Paris begin working together to match details from Beth's confession to medical records of patients from the various facilities. Eventually, they were able to put together a clear account of where Beth had been during the times of all the overdoses, and the confession seemed to line up with reality. On October 25, 2016, Elizabeth Wetlofer was arrested and charged with eight counts of first-degree murder, four counts of attempted murder, and two counts of aggravated assault. On June 1, 2017, Beth pleaded guilty to all charges and was sentenced to life in prison with parole eligibility in 25 years. She will be eligible for parole in 2041 when she's 74 years old, but it's possible that it's never granted due to the amount of helpless people she killed who she was actually supposed to be taking care of, something only a true monster could do. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local battered women's shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught looking for help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you might be facing. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can subscribe or follow the show to ensure you don't miss an episode, and you can leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by checking out our merchandise at Teespring. You can also discuss the channel and the episodes on our subreddit, r forward slash thisismonsters. You can find more ways to support our show and how to find us on social media by visiting thisismonsters.com. Thanks again, and be safe. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. No. Good boy. Keep your hat on, pet. Why? We're playing dinner at the North Pole, remember? So we need to wear our big warm coats inside. When it comes to food or heat, many families will face impossible choices this Christmas. Please support the St. Vincent de Paul Annual Appeal. Donate locally or at svp.ie. Thank you. 
This Christmas, feel joy, gift joy and send them joy with the perfect gift at Arnott's. Explore an endless array of gifting that will bring joy to everyone on your list. Shop Irish at the Christmas market, support emerging new businesses with Pitch 22 or find something extra special from one of our world-class brands. Shop in-store and online at arnott's.ie Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Parts.